We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? Welcome into your midweek mailbag edition of the OBR Film Breakdown. Your host, Jake Burns, here with co-host Andrew Spade. We welcome you in for a transition away from the Broncos, kind of pushing toward the Rams, but with that usual midweek stop that we do where we talk about things that have happened while also keeping an eye on looking forward at the same time. I think it's a really, I would say one of the podcasts I look forward to the most. You guys ask great questions. I think it's well worth digging into all of the details around what happened and what could happen in the following week and, uh, you know, kind of gets me excited for the change of guard of the week. Andrew, what's up, man? How are you? I'm good, Jake. It's uh, very cold here. We'll do a little weather segment off the top here. It's very cold for the first time. Supposed to get down into the teens tonight. And um, the house that I'm living in has very old windows. So we're going to find some things out tonight. We, you know, ironically, kind of if we're doing this uh, bit on weather, we have in Might our house, well. we have we have a front, like my son sleeps in a window uh, and he doesn't sleep in a window. That'd be hard. My youngest <laughs> sleeps in a room that has a very big front facing window mm. and it doesn't get any morning sun or anything like that. So like this window, he sleeps right next to it in his crib and we've been struggling with the temperature, mm-hmm. put up a little window seal. Our young dog now nine months old, you know, wants to jump through the window at various points, looking out the front window that gets ripped. So we're looking at buying this, google nest smart thermostat where apparently you can put a sensor in a window or sorry not in a window necessarily but in the room and it'll keep that room the temperature you're looking for i don't understand how all this works it's over my head someone who knows this stuff is probably listening um but we're pretty excited about it right i just want to share that with you because we are in the experiencing the 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 varied temperature like he's sleeping in a room that sometimes gets down to like 65 degrees we can't have that right right winter yeah so yeah you can't have that variability with a young kid so yeah so we're yeah we're excited about it but i ripped the uh thermostat off the wall trying to figure out how to put this thing up Mm -hmm. and let me tell you a lot of wires yeah a lot of wires gonna need some help so got a tech coming to help with that yeah the the smart thermostat is a is a a treat i had one at the the previous place the the home that i uh owned previously and um it's there's nothing better than like uh, if you're out for the day and you know maybe you know, you've got you know it turns off you know or turns down while you're away and you're like hey we're coming home in 15 minutes you walk into a warm house you know that's a or in the summer you know vice versa so yeah it's it's a it's a step forward to be able to monitor your home's temperature from your phone yeah we're excited about it just when we it's like we also <laughs> 
we're getting real personal on the pod, whatever we're doing it, we got a bidet. Sup? Oh, sure. The bidet users out there. You're adjusting the thermostat from your bidet. Well, I'm telling you, I'm talking like I can't do any of this stuff. I'm good at like (laughs) sports trivia. I can explain how cover nine works. I can do a lot of things for your football and sports life. Very good at NCAA 14. Love it. That's great. I can build a dynasty, know how to recruit really good Mm -hmm. at it. But if you want me to put in like we need a new faucet installed, we need some things done that involve like actual work. Uh, I'm not your guy. I can write a check. Yeah. I can I can give you some credit card digis, but I cannot do it. So like I'm telling you, putting this bidet on the toilet and getting the right you know hose to run to the to the thing, the flex hose. I mean, I'm telling you, I told I was talking to my brother in law who's out in Wyoming, and he comes home various times throughout the year, and he does all the work for us because he's really good. And uh, I was like, man, you'd have thought I remodeled that bathroom. How much effort that thing took me to just put a bidet in in the toilet. So that's uh, that's where we're at. That's what we're trying to work through over here. So I'm with you on the uh, temperatures. We're we're excited about that, but it's going to be when somebody can do it for us sort of thing. You know, unless you guys out there just know the answers to all of this and you could DM me step by step instructions. I was going to say, I think, I think I did the one. I mean, I'm not trying to show you up on on the pod here, but I, I think I did the one in my place myself. We needed a C wire. We need a C wire installed. Oh, you're short of wire. Telling us so, like to do the controlling of specific gotcha. Gotcha. functions, we need something installed that I have no clue. I see. Okay, so it's do. not just a matching thing. You've, you're yeah. you're short of wire. Yeah, we're Which short something. A lot of people say about you. you. Well, yeah, I don't disagree at all with that. There's a wiring malfunction uh, <laughs> at the base of the whole operation. So, uh, all right, we're going to start with this. There's a very quiet news day, other than. I have to ask this question. It's pretty popular on social right now, Andrew, where the Browns defensive line group went out to eat in LA and the tab was like 38 grand. Oh yeah. I, I, and they uh, stick I that, that. On Is the there a rookies. picture of the receipt? I, I, I don't know if there was a picture, but I heard the number. I mean, I saw Siaki Ika looking at it mm-hmm. and he was just in amazement. I saw Isaiah McGuire, like just put his hand on his forehead and walk away. So whatever it is, it was <laughs> chunky. I find it kind of interesting that they make the rookies pay for that, who are yeah. the most broke of the group if you're not like right. a first-round pick. So, like, Dalvin Tomlinson makes a ton of money. Some of these guys make – I don't think Miles is there. He's probably doing a lot of rehab stuff, playing it, playing it kind of mm-hmm. careful with the shoulder. But I, I'm like, they got some really rich guys in this room, and you're sticking this gigantic tab on two rookies who are probably pinching – I mean, he hasn't even been active. Like, yeah. you know, this could be the only paycheck he gets in his entire – football existence right so I, I don't know i'm just kind of find that interesting i'm sure it's a rite of passage thing mm-hmm. to an extent but it seems a little backward andrew it's a little backward yeah i think if i was in those in that situation i would be calling around asking about credit limit increases stuff like that <laughs> yeah. you know just kind of trying to see especially in la right because you know they're i mean they're going to try and enjoy themselves a little bit i think that's you know it's nice for them to get a little bit of a break it coincided with the weather really turning bad in cleveland for the first time so I think guys are probably feeling pretty lucky that they're out in, you know, Westwood at on UCLA's campus for a week when they could be home shoveling snow. So, um, you know, if if the worst thing that happens is you got to, you know, call up Amex and see if they can bump your credit limit a little bit, that seems all right, you know, all things considered. My question is, I don't know how you spend that much money at a restaurant. Like, I know that these places have overpriced, you know, liquor options or whatever specifically for this sort of thing, but like, I mean, I've I've had some pretty crazy meals, you know, that I've been able to, exp- I've been lucky enough to expense over the years. And I, I would struggle to get to five digits, I think, period. 
I yeah, I have no idea. It has to be some some liquor has to be involved. There's no way liquor is yeah. involved. Yeah. There's no way some hidden stake ordeal. I would think surfing and right. turfy like would get involved, right? A little gold bit of that. leaf, maybe, or yeah. I, I don't know, man. The question is legit. And I was wondering, is like, is it a joke? Do they tell the rookies they have to cover it and then they don't make them cover it? Because that would be funny to me. That feels possible. Yeah. I, yeah. I just or like they pay them back them. later or something. Yeah. Because those yeah. guys, I don't know. I just, as a rookie, I'd be kind of, I'd be kind of pissed. <laughs> like, I, yeah. I don't make that much money here, man. And, you know, you guys are on your second and third NFL contract with like Z and Dalvin and some of these other guys. Uh, Ogbo's on a second contract. There's just, it's a little tricky. So I don't know. I just didn't see the uh, rooks looking all too happy. I wouldn't look happy. You know, that's, that's a, that's a decent chunk of coin from a rookie contract. You do get a decent amount of money up front, but nonetheless, shoot. So kudos to those guys if they paid for it. The other piece of information is that the Browns made some practice squad moves. We didn't get anything else. It's a quiet day. They have decided to re-sign, um, bring back John Kelly, at running back to the practice squad. He takes over as the only running back as he uh, takes over for Kenyon Drake. Not sure what Kenyon Drake's purpose was here, but he is let go before he sees any action. And then Thomas Graham uh, is also waived with an injured reserve designation. So I don't know, maybe uh, maybe bring him back Kelly to talk Rams. He play, appeared in 13 games with the Rams for a couple of years before this stint with the Browns on the practice squad. I, I don't know, Andrew. I mean, it's kind of funny. Like maybe they're running like between Kenyon Drake and the Ravens and between Kelly and his former Rams experience. They're just running this gambit of like, yeah. Give us all you got, and we'll bring you back to the practice squad. I don't know what. Well, yeah, no, I mean, we'll know if Connor Stallions is added as a special assistant, then we'll know something's up, right? Like that'll be the that'll be the dead giveaway. Yeah, I I think it's it's you know certainly with Drake, I think it's possible because it doesn't seem like he ever even had a chance to make the roster. Yeah, you know, um, Kelly having been with him in camp, I you know I I wouldn't be all that. Uh, disturbed if he got added and maybe they give him a few touches. I, I think they need to figure something out running game wise, uh, just in terms of more consistency. Uh, Ford and Hunt are both just real boom bust right now, and Pierre Strong can't really find the field when he does. You know, on that reverse, he he drops the ball. So I'm just I'm a little bit perturbed with the production that they're getting from the running back room. I know that it's you know obviously Nick Chubb is out, but that happened in week two, right? Like it's, it's, we're well into the season now that uh, answers should have emerged. And I think, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm looking for a little bit more from that room. I don't know if that's what this move is about, but I can imagine them feeling similar things. Yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, like looking at yards over expected, I don't think they're breaking the world with that. Like I just, they're all sort of surface level backs. And I, and I think that, you know, Kevin, is is giving the foot they're running the football and i mean they run the foot i think they have the most carries in the nfl i mean it's like they're not running it's just the efficiency isn't as good as it's been in recent years and you can attribute that to several different factors here right you know between injuries and uh, player performance and all of that i just it's really an uninspiring running attack right now they i, I talked about this on yesterday's episode at the end after we talked Andrew but they have like just given they've abandoned inside zone for two straight weeks just they ran it 23 times over the course of three weeks and then just have one in the last two I just don't know what their direction is like Mm -hmm. you're telling me the Steelers can develop a diverse shotgun run game but you guys can't I find that 
baffling. They're not running any traps all of a sudden. I don't know, man. I, for as smart as Kevin is, I think at this stuff uh, at times, and I think Callahan too, being around a ton of football for a long time, I'm sort of amazed they can't find more gun answers consistently. It's 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 concerning among many reasons why we've been talking about trying to find some sort of young coaching answer who can help with this, or it doesn't even have to be a young person, but somebody with real experience to help with their gun run stuff. Cause it's just not good enough. They're, they're floundering with that stuff at times, even though, you know, there'll probably be people listening be like, well, they were, you know, Ford had nine carries for 65 yards should have given it to him more and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I, I can understand it a little bit, but like they're, lack of consistency efficiency is the problem for me they're too boom bust yeah they lead they're up in the yeah. top five of the league in negative zero percentage runs mm-hmm. and that deters your ability to run on first down or second down because you want to be able to stay out in front of the sticks and they they can't do that as consistently as they would like and some of the yeah. chunkier runs every now and again can skew your Im- impression of what it looks like when you're looking at a box score you know what i mean yeah, and it kind of goes back to, you know, obviously the, the back-to-back wins over Baltimore and Pittsburgh, it really turned up the volume on Kevin Stefanski deserves an extension immediately right now. I think one of the reasons to wait is I think there's a real conversation to be had at the end of the season, whenever that comes for the Browns, about his offensive coaching staff. I really do, and and not like in an ultimatum way. I don't think anybody needs to be fired, but I do think a constructive conversation about who he wants on that staff who they can add and how they can restructure things. I and and like I have always been very dismissive of the idea that that Stefanski needs to give up play calling. I don't think he needs to give up play calling, but mm-hmm. I do think that if it would get them the right offensive mind, I could see the benefit to it, right? I could see the I could see the reason why. But at a, at a minimum, having a little bit more of a sense of the same sort of uh, renovation that they did with the defense on the offense, I, th- I think is necessary. I really do, because I think there are some things consistency wise and game plan wise that, you know, when you're talking about how bad they've been on scripts this year, the first 15 have been underwhelming in almost every game. I, I need, I, I just need more. And so I think, you know, like that, I think there's the potential for a very productive conversation between everybody like, all right, we're, we're bringing you back. Here's a three-year extension you know, who do you like as a, as a quarterback's coach? Who do you like as an offensive coordinator? Who, you know, what, what is, what does Alex Van Pelt want to do? All these sorts of things, because I don't think, you know, we, we've talked about Chad O'Shea, the wide receivers coach. I don't think the way that it's set up currently, you know, and, and, and you mentioned Bill Callahan. I, I think there's even some question there of like, how long does Bill want to keep doing this? So um, I, again, I'm not saying anybody needs to be fired. I'm not calling for, you know, it's, I'm not trying, we're not, this is not dramatic. This is just, they need to take stock and figure out what they can do better because I know that quarterback injury has driven and Nick Chubb has driven a lot of the offensive underperformance, but they even in that, they have not been consistently finding answers uh, in multiple phases. And I don't know. I I, I feel like I, I want to see more from a scheme and coherence standpoint going into next season. Don't have anything to add to that other than I agree, and we've talked about it a ton. And I, they need to they need to solve it. While I like what they are, and they, they've evolved some in ways this year that we've talked about and given them credit, there are still so many strides to take here for them to be even better. And I don't think it's difficult to get there. I really don't. 
think it's all too hard. So agree. Uh, all right. Yeah. That sorry. That's that's the thing is that they're leaving meat on the bone. That's the they thing. Are. When we, I think we both see it, and so that's where it's not about saying they've done a bad job. It's about saying they could do a better job. That's a great way to and say it. And I still it. think they're in a bit of an identity crisis. And yeah, it's hard totally. to find an identity when you're ro- rotating quarterbacks in every other week. So that probably isn't an identity they're able to find until next year, right? Right. So, um, okay, let's let's shift over and do mailback questions. we got a decent amount, not quite as many because I think I posted the tweet a little later uh, than I normally do. But nonetheless, I think the volume isn't as high, but the quality is really good here. So I'll let you lead us off, Andrew. Yeah. All right. First question here um, uh, from Lance. He says, I'm by no means an expert, which uh, now there's three of us uh, talking that are not experts, but to me, it feels like DTR throws a lot of passes off of his back foot and with uh, sometimes bad mechanics, he obviously has the arm talent, but is there any concern that he might uh, create habits, bad habits out of bad mechanics? I don't get that vibe. I I don't, I don't see a ton of um, unnecessary back foot throws there are times when you have to do it because of pressure i think that those are uh, some things that i've noticed he's been able to to maneuver around those so i give him some credit for those i actually thought i highlighted on chalk talk there were a couple throws where he couldn't even follow through and he still was able to find the arm strength stepping up and kind of stepping in like a lineman is working back into his general throw path and he's done a good job there i think the thing i have noticed is when he steps forward at times he will be trying to throw and get his feet a little airborne. So that's something I'm concerned about. He has a bit of a high miss tendency when he misses. And I think he's like climbing the pocket, elevating and trying to like figure out when he's going to throw it with his feet, doing some shuffling at the, at the, you know, throw point. And I think it's led to some weird looking bases, but, um, those are things that you hope can clean up as the game, the pocket, the movement around the pocket slows down a little bit for him. So I don't have a, a giant concern on that, Lance. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep watching it. I thought that the Denver game was a lot of positive steps in the right direction uh, for, for him as a, as a young quarterback. I didn't. I thought mechanics were better than they've been in the other two starts. So um, we'll leave it at that. I think that he's, he's uh, a positive step forward in that direction. So... All right, next question comes from Christy. Why doesn't Stefanski use wide receiver bunch formations? And why doesn't he use Hunt more as a check down receiver? I think Hunt's good for five plus uh, yards most times. So um, I think Kareem Hunt's usage in that area has left his career. I just, he is not twitchy enough as a route runner the way he was in his early career. And Uh, I think it's shown up on tape this year. He doesn't catch it as well as you'd like either kind of tries to trap it. He's a big top hand, bottom hand close on the football catcher. And, and, and that's on throws sort of at the chest level. He's, he caught a lot of screens with Kansas city and that gave him a label as a dual threat player. He's really not that guy anymore. Um, Kareem brings you some things, some short yardage stuff, but he is, He's not, uh, this season has proven even more than I think we were all, I, I think we were all right last season. Like he's the value just isn't quite there for him anymore. There's not long speed. He is, um, he's lacks the vision that he needs to have in an offense that, that relies on running back vision to be a part of the success. So he was brought back because of necessity and that's fine. It's been nice to have him. He's been a good short yardage back, but that's the extent of it for me. The bunch formation stuff. Christy, it's a good question. I don't know. Something I would also like him to get better at. 
Some of it has popped up. They actually did a nice job of mixing up who was in the slot and who was wide in this most recent game, but an uptick in bunch with varied releases would be nice. I will just say what I've been saying. I don't think that they're getting enough from the wide receiver coach. I don't think they're getting enough, uh, you know, just general understanding of where their guys are supposed to be. Uh, eventually this falls on the coach. Like, you know, the Elijah Moore plays a great example. Like, what are you doing, man? Like you're going to run, you're going to loaf off the line and then run to the back corner and essentially be the player that breaks up the Cedric Tillman ball. So they're just not getting enough from these guys. The drops have been a problem. Uh, among the league leader in that uh, category. I don't think the routes are very clean. I don't think guys are consistently hitting landmarks. And I don't think they're getting enough, in my opinion, from creativity at that position. So I'll leave it at that. I've been pretty vocal about a desire to see a different wide receiver coach. We'll see if that comes to fruition. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Andrew, but feel free. Well, I think, you know, to the point about Hunt, the problem part of the problem here is that they don't really have a great receiving back on the roster they've got three backs you know strong barely plays now as i mentioned previously ford has really struggled to catch dtr's passes the past two weeks and and looks very hesitant generally and and really takes a lot of time to transition from catching to running which is very tough when you're a check down receiver uh and and everything you mentioned about hun is spot on so who are you supposed to throw the ball to out of the backfield it's you, you know you go around the league Offenses that struggle to throw the ball down the field need to have those sorts of safety valve release things to at least be able to move the ball in chunks, in little chunks, to make up for that lack of explosiveness. The Browns don't really have that as an option right now. Uh, again, I, I think that it's you know, I think that I think that you can have. I think it's fair at this point to have a little bit of a little bit of qualms with how the offensive talent has played out this season, right? You mentioned Elijah Moore. We talked about Jordan Akins yesterday. He's basically a non-factor, and they're paying him a good chunk of change. They went out and traded for Pierre Strong in the preseason. He has been a non-factor. They haven't really pursued any other running back options beyond you know bringing Kareem Hunt back, which I think the the main thing that Kareem brings at this point, as far as I can tell, is, is intangible leadership stuff. You know, less about what he actually does on the football field, other than in some short yardage goal line situations. So you know that I. It feels like sometimes with the offense and especially, you know, the, the, the skill position talent that there is a, a mismatch between what the players could do and then what the coaching staff wants them to do. And it, you know, I think with these questions, it really kind of gets at some of that stuff. And it's not that I don't think that they are good players. It just, there, there seems to be a gap between why they brought them in and then how they're being used and, you know, obviously the the shining example is using Elijah Moore more as a gadget player and 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 uh, less as a downfield uh, player, and so that actually leads into the next question. Um, it's a question about Elijah Moore's usage. Uh, from Dava Roth, is the usage of Elijah Moore the last couple of weeks as encouraging to you as it is to me? It feels like we are finally using him as the intermediate wide receiver he could really excel as. If I recall correctly, Watson really loves these types of guys getting crazy separation in the intermediate level. So I looked this up. He has been doing things that have changed in recent weeks. His alignment usage, he was in from, let me make sure I have it correct here. He'd gone into the to the 60s. In the early part of the year, uh, there was a 66, 69, 59% usage in the slot. 
early in the year. That's the peak of it, which is around the indie game. Since then, he's been a heavier outside aligning receiver, which I've been vocal about. So weeks 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, he's been outside. He's been used less in motion. He was used in motion 20%, 25% on average through week 8. And then since week 9, here's his motion percentage. 9%, 0, 0, 8%. So he's playing outside more which is which is what you want his air yards have creeped into the into the double digits which is again what we want um as far as I'm concerned his yards per reception have been upticking he's in a better spot than he was early in the year he's not I know Andrew you talked about it yesterday and I would agree he's just not been the level of difference maker I want now if we look across the offense outside of Amari Cooper we could probably say this about almost anybody it is a part of a quarterback malfunction issue here, but we wanted more from more. I, I even wrote the article that said that. And my hope here is that they get it from him next year. Like they can finish the year decently strong, but I feel like, you know, you're, you we're going to get a question here about empty uh, set passing. Like whatever you look up with the Browns offense right now, it's not going to be what you want it to be. It's just not because, they're dealing with so many things uh, working against them. How many teams in the NFL can lose both starting tackles and have three quarterbacks on the cusp of four and have a good offense? Not many guys. It's hard. It's hard. It's a quarterback driven league. I'm watching Bengals people on Twitter talk about how, you know, Zach Taylor's record five and 20 or something without Joe Burrow and how it's quarterback driven league and you can't judge him. Like, this stuff, when you lose your quarterback, the mainstay of your offense, and then the only way I think you would agree with me, Andrew, the, the, not the only way, but a high percentage of ways in which this works if you have a backup quarterback is you have excellent surrounding talent, and that includes an offensive line that is humming. And the Browns have lost both tackles, and their guard has had surgery, and they're just beat up up there at times. Like, so whatever metric we look at with the offense, you're not going to like. Do I? But again, the the eye test here, away from the data, I've needed more production from Elijah, and it hasn't happened. So I hope that can happen as maybe the offense stabilizes with some health in the coming, you know, fourteen months or whatever. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, Jake, because I think we, you know, this feels a little bit reminiscent to me of a conversation that we had last year about the defense, right? is that, you know, you get in this place where it's like, well, is it the talent? Is there not enough talent or is it the scheme? How do you, how do you weigh those two things? And I, you know, I think we, we felt really strongly last year with the defense that it was kind of both. And I think that's kind of where we're at with the offense too, where, yeah, yeah. The quarterback issue obviously is, is number one with the bullet. Nobody is saying that this offense is going to be, you know, like you said, humming when you've had, three possibly now this weekend looking at four starting quarterbacks this season and and not only just like one to two to three but it was like one to two to three to one to three to two you know it's it's been it's been bouncing around it's a mess yeah it's been bouncing around like a bingo ball so um you know I, i i think that is obviously the the number one thing but there also have not been enough moments where you're like hey this guy really kind of came out of nowhere and gave us something that we weren't expecting. Right. And, you know, you look around the league and you see that happen with guys from time to time, you know, the, 
the prime example that's coming to my mind is Jalen Warren with the Steelers, right? Like this is a guy who's undrafted and, and just demands a bigger role because he's just outplaying everybody else on offense and then making their offense at times work despite the scheme, despite the limitations of the other players, including the quarterback, right? And I don't feel like we've seen, other than Amari Cooper, and there was a stretch from David Njoku where I think he was really playing pretty transcendently, I don't think we've really seen that from anybody on the skill position for the Browns. There hasn't been, you know, Tillman had a great game uh, against the Broncos. I hope that continues. Him emerging as the second wide receiver option would be really exciting down the stretch here and and necessary, frankly. Uh, but it just hasn't felt like, you know, that they've got a hot hand that they need to feed. It's been a bunch of guys that when they get their opportunities, it's like a 50-50 chance that they're either going to take it or drop it. And, you know, like it, it, then at that point, it just becomes nobody's got consistency or rhythm. And I understand, like a lot of this is a product of the quarterback, but it, at a certain point, it's the NFL and you you got to be able to make plays regardless of what's around you. And I think you see that on teams where somebody just kind of steps up and says, you know, hell no, I'm I'm doing this on my own. And I, I feel like the Browns haven't really had that on offense this year. Nope. No, they have not. And they're searching. <laughs> That's a big thing. They they're searching. We're talking about identity. Identity carries over week to week. We've made this statement. I think Brad was the first one to kind of talk about that a, a couple post games shows ago where it's like they're week to week. And like, I, I genuinely think they're throwing things against the board week to week to try to, to see what, what, what they can do. There's um, just a, a general off seat. They're going <laughs> to, we talk about how important last off season was. This off season will be very important for them to try to figure out some things as well here, because you get shook to your core. You're making a good point, man. Like, you know, for going for your starter to your backup and getting the consistency of a backup, you can do some things, right? You can do that. But going one to two to three to two to one to two to three, like you don't like it's brutal, man. It's really brutal to figure out. And again, not just that, but two tackles moving in and out of your lineup. And we're this week, we're going to chip more than we normally do. So we can't do this. Th- these three things that we would like to do right this week. We can't throw downfield more than two and a half seconds. So that eliminates this portion of our play sheet. Like I, I, I'm going to say this again to reiterate what is driving me crazy these people on social media i i I, i'm trying to be delicate with this because i don't want to offend people but again to me andrew it's like me to our conversation earlier where i was was talking about replacing a sink faucet or an entire sink which is something we need i wouldn't go up to the guy doing that and say to him you know it really looks like you're using a five eights man and you should be using a seven eights in this situation. People speak. And I don't know if this is because it's sports and like, we all think we know sports at a similar level. I need to remind you, there are varying levels of understanding here. We are not all on the same playing field. There are people infinitely smarter at this than me. There are people that I would never dream of trying to like, I, I think it's amazing that people speak so confidently about play calling that it it actually boggles my mind how confidently people try to talk about how wrong a play caller is without knowing the 75 layers of what goes into those decisions. And like, I am just, I found myself really, really mad again today, partly because I read an article of a very prominent Cleveland columnist 
talking about running the ball more again. And I just don't know how you can watch that game off of those three drives where Dorian is playing extremely well and leave those in that exact moment before he's hurt and everything changes. Think to yourself, they're getting really good results, but boy, would I wish they could run the football more. That'd just be great. Like, it's the dumbest sentiment I've heard in a long time in that moment, in the way people are reacting after this game. And I am just never not amazed at how confidently people try to talk about play calling like they have any idea. And I don't mean to come up on like a soapbox about this because I'm also understanding there are 14 to 15, 16, 17, it, the number could go on and on of things Kevin is doing that I don't know why he's doing it. And, and like, that doesn't mean we can't sit here and say like, well, that was curious, right? Cause we kind of talked about why they would put Elijah Moore in the backfield. I don't like that. I understand Pierre strong can really run and you're trying to create an explosive, but like there's, there's just little things that you quite but you like will come on and say, we need to fire this guy or he needs to give up play. Like I, I'm just never not amazed by it. I'm never like, this is the one, I don't know if it's like a, this is a walk of life where people just, you know, fandom allows you to go crazy like this, but this is the profession of some of these people, man. Like this is what they're best at. And you, in there yet there's this confidence about like, you know more than they do from your sofa. It's amazing to me. I don't know. I'll shut up about it, but it's just like the level of which people speak confidently about this stuff is it's, it's wild to me, man. Yeah. I mean, I, I, we, we talked about this yesterday. I think the emotion of that game, it's just very frustrating. I, you know, I think so much of it ties into the injury to the quarterback because you, you want to believe in an alternate reality where things can be different, but you know, injuries are the ultimate, you know, that it is the way that it is, you know? And so I think people get bent out of shape about anything they can to, you know, keep from having to admit that basically the NFL, what it comes down to year after year is the, the teams that stay the healthiest tend to have the best seasons. And so, you know, the Browns are on the short end of that stick by far and have managed to sneak out seven wins despite being one of the most hurt teams in the NFL and so, you know, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I think it's, uh, it's, it is, it is frustrating, but it's also, I just take it as a sign of frustration, you know, and I think there's not going to be a, there's not going to be a solution to that until people stop caring about the team. So, you know, it, it, it kind of is what it is. And I, I, I will say that I think that the challenge with, with talking about football for us or for anybody at home on the couch, you know, using Twitter, because we're all the same, right, at the end of the day, the challenge is to try and understand it, right? And so, you know, the difference between saying he needs to be fired, he needs to give up play calling, he needs to run the ball more, and trying to understand why they're doing the things that they're doing, and then, you know, say what, you know, you think might be, better is there's a gap there and i think that if we had more of the latter and less of the former we'd be in a better position just in general talking about the game we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. So why would you go Game Time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets, create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. It's a very nuanced sport that people try to pretend there's not any of that to it. It's just like you're pick, you're putting your finger on a play and just, just oh, this one looks good, and... uh I guess I guess what I'm saying is the ultimate process sport, and the results are the way it's judged, and that sucks. So uh, you're right, probably just is going to always go with it. How many question here from uh, Matt Tag asks why so many empty five wide receiver sets? Denver ran a couple max protect two guy patterns. Feels like that could have helped DTR. The Browns did run max protect two man patterns. One was completed, one was not. Ball thrown behind uh, uh, behind Amari Cooper uh, eliminated that one. Uh, let me see here. Uh, five wide sets. Wanted to look that up for you. The Browns lead the NFL in empty throws. You, you know, why do they do that? Well, uh, it's just a part of who Kevin is. The Dolphins, the Bills, the Texans, the Eagles are your next teams. So a lot of teams in the NFL love to do it. The problem is the Browns aren't getting enough from it. Why are they not getting enough from it? Do I need to really answer that question? They're on three different quarterbacks shuffling in. Nobody's got rhythm. They might be a fourth guy this week. That's it. You do it because you space teams out and you can get a clear identifier protection very often. It's it's very simple. You 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 have a better idea 
of where guys are coming from, who's blitzing, who's not, spacing options off of it. I don't have a problem with empty. I just, I won't. And some of you hate it because maybe you're living in the wing T world you grew up in or something, but like, that's the, that's modern football, baby. So you either, you either adapt or die on this one. I don't really have any other way to say it. The teams that are in the bottom of usage of uh, dropbacks from empty Chicago bears, Las Vegas Raiders, new Orleans saints, Tennessee Titans, right? So, you know, do the math. Not offenses I want to flirt with all too often. Not calling the Browns better because their metrics aren't better, but I like the approach. I'll never have a problem with empty. The problem is what they're getting from it is not as consistent as it needs to be. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, Andrew. No, I think that's well said, Jake. Um, I yeah, I I mean, I <laughs> my problem with the offenses is less about the formations and the plays and more about the way that the run game and pass game sort of, you know, inform each other, tie together. And, and, and really, you know, consistency is such a big part of that. So I, I think, you know, the more that we talk about it, and I think, you know, we've covered the offense pretty well here. The switch constant switching between quarterbacks is, is, you know, is the central culprit. If there's any way that Dorian Thompson Robinson can come back and, and start again this Sunday, I think that would be actually pretty big for this offense. So. Well, the, also the thing from empty I would like is to run it a little bit more with your quarterback, and they, they you know, like exactly Philly does a lot of that moving center stuff, and the Browns flirted with it with uh, DTR the other day. You can do some of that stuff, but again, the injury luck stuff is awful right now, mm-hmm. so can't get mm-hmm. any of that stuff going. Uh, go ahead with the last one from Jacob Coleman. Yeah, so it actually kind of ties in here. Do you see the passing game becoming more effective with DTR or Joe Flacco at quarterback from Jacob Coleman? Um, I'll, I'll just say. My my first thought is probably short term, more effective with Joe. Longer term, the ceiling is higher with DTR. I think I'm a little more hesitant. I mean, I think Jake, you were pretty bullish based on the film about where DTR is headed. I'm a little more hesitant just because of I continue to maybe stubbornly believe that the Broncos' defense isn't the best thing in the world. So uh, be careful. Yeah, I know. I'm not learning my lesson. Unbelievably. Um, you know, so I, I think as they, you know, they move on, especially that home game against the Jaguars in two weeks, uh, that's a that's a good defense. And so I think it's going to be very inconsistent with DTR. I think the highs might be higher, but the lows might be lower. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. I think if you're just trying to look for cutting down on turnovers, staying out of negative plays, Joe Flacco is probably still the best chance. But I'm interested to hear what you think. Yeah, I, I mean, with DTR, it's hard to say going forward. Like Joe has a longer track record of of doing some concepts, right? Like, there's no doubt about that. I, I there's, I, I what did I like about Dorian is that he was just he looked better, he looked more comfortable, and I wanted to see that expand. That's all. Anytime a young quarterback is playing well, I'd I'd like to see them continue to grow on the the success that they're having. So I broke down Flacco film when they name him the starter. I'll drop it. Uh, I, I I'm encouraged. There's some good throws there, right? He's very limited in the pocket as we all know, and will make some throws that are unnecessarily risky at times. And he is a fumble machine when sacked in the pocket, which is worrisome to me, but, but he can still make some throws, right? Like he can still deliver the football into certain spots. And, and I, I think that there, like you said, there might be a boost. He might play really well a couple games and leave people really encouraged. So I don't have a great answer for that. What I want to see for the future of the franchise, it, we're caught in a weird spot. There's seven and four, right? 
So we want to have the best of both worlds, which is DTR being this young quarterback that we see take strides and lead them with good quarterback play into the playoffs. You're probably looking at with a rookie quarterback the way he is, some ups and downs that could cost them the playoffs. So I think Joe has a chance to be more stable, but I would also like for a guy like Dorian to just gain experience when when Watson comes back, he's probably not going to get the, the, that experience. So it's a clear path. So we want the best of both worlds. I think Joe would probably be a more stable option week over week, but you also want Dorian to prove to you. Because again, like some of the throws that we saw from him in that game were, okay, is this who he is? We, we talked about it yesterday. If this is who he is, he can be a dude. Like he can be a real quarterback in the NFL. So you got excited about that. And that was what was so frustrating about getting that game cut short is you don't know if that was something he could continue into the most meaningful moments of the game. Right. So um, it's not going to, I don't predict it to be a huge like issue. It could even be better. Joe could even be a little bit better. We'll see. I don't know uh, what that all looks like. It's hard to tell. It's hard to tell how acclimated Joe can be how quickly. He can be ready to go and, you know, what sort of cohesion they have with him coming off the street in this way. So uh, listen, third and fourth quarterbacks, man, uh, you're playing, you know, you could be looking at playing three different quarterbacks over the span of like a quarter and a half mm-hmm. <laughs> here in a, in, a, in a bit. So your guess is as good as mine. It is a wild card. Pick a card out of the deck kind of scenario, man. We don't know. You, the NFL teams don't get into this range very often with winning records. So I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think the the last thing I would just say about it is that the, the Browns are very fortunate that this season, I mean, we as fans, like we should all feel very fortunate that this is not feeling like a totally lost season. That's um, my big thankful thing the other day. Like yeah, exactly. Season. Yeah, it's it really, honestly, you know, you, you made that point and I was right there with you. And then the, you know, the seeing PJ Walker out there again, it's just really hit home of like, man, they won games with this dude at quarterback, like two of them against good teams, like incredible stuff. So, yeah. um, you know, cause you, you flip those two PJ Walker games, Jake, you know, where it's, you know, lost to the 49ers, lost to the Colts, which is very much in play. And and this team is, you know, is, is five and six right now and kind of teetering on the brink. So um, anyway, uh, next question here. Uh, kind of on the same subject, weirdly, uh, feels like the Browns are catching teams at the wrong time a lot this season. Are the Rams another bad matchup now that they've started to run the ball better? That's from Dave Kulinich. Well, they are better with Kyron. And so I think that the Rams, I would say yes. You know, you look at the Rams, they played games without Stafford. They're going to catch the Bears at a time where Justin Fields is going to be comfortable in playing. They're going to catch... Trevor Lawrence healthier than he's been. He's had the knee that's been bothering him. It appears like he's on the right path. Uh, it seems as though the Denver Broncos catching them in a win streak versus playing them in the first six weeks of the season is a disadvantage. I'm trying to think of other games off the top of my head, Andrew, where they played uh, sort of random teams. Now that you could say they caught the Cardinals at the right time, but yep, for sure, you know the Cardinals are uh, very. Be- that's one that you <laughs> you don't mind catching them at the wrong time either, you right. know, because that's one team that you could feel comfortable with. But yeah, I mean, I I don't think the end of the season setting up as well as we thought because the Bears' defense is playing much better, the Broncos' defense is playing much better, the Jags are getting healthier, the Texans are obviously a real threat. There are a lot of games that when we looked at the second half of the season, you're like, all right, I see it. Now, the Jets game, the Bengals game, we'll see. 
right? Those are two ones that you're kind of looking at, you know, get to 10 wins is the theory here, which I totally align with. You put yourself in a pretty good spot to make the playoffs, not controlling your own destiny, but in a pretty good spot if you get to 10. But yeah, to answer the crux of the question here, they are not getting teams at the time I would prefer to get them, but that's life in the NFL teetering uh, on, on the brink of a sword all the time, right, man? You just, you just never know. Next question comes from uh, Robert, uh, Robert Pace, I think. What is the number one absolutely must happen, can't win without this thing happening thing? There question you go. mark. All right. So this is a weird this is a weird question in a way he could have just said, What do you have to stop the Rams from doing? He said, I haven't watched any Rams games. I automatically think of stopping cup and lighten me, please go Browns. I'm not trying to pick on you, Robert. I just I can't read. So um, you know, we edited out me botching your question two times. So uh, you know, feel free to laugh at us or me particularly. Uh, What I would say is (laughs) I think they have to stop the run, man. Like I think you have to hold Kyron Williams in check, Andrew. That's, that's my hunch because they're a different team when they run it well, because McVeigh is a mastermind of creating deception off of his run action. So if you can't stop Kyron Williams from churning out run game efficiency and you spread yourself thin, trying to stop that, they're going to manipulate linebackers which is going to be hell for those guys who are probably down Anthony Walker again. So you're talking about Taki Taki and JOK kind of trying to chase plays with Puka Nakua and, you know, uh, Cooper Cup kind of just, just really manipulating your zone coverage. And if Ward's not back, Tutu Atwell can flat out run. So Greg Newsom will have his hands full trying to play outside. I, I don't, I really don't like this matchup with the health of the Rams being at home on the turf. Like I don't, I don't feel good, good about I, this. Has a very Indianapolis feel from a defensive yep. perspective, where you're hoping that the defense just creates a couple turnovers. I agree with that. I'll flip this on its head though and say that it's less that I'm worried about what the Rams can do. I am, but the number one thing that the Browns have to be able to do is get pressure on Matt Stafford. That's number one with a bullet. They have yeah. to be able to disrupt him, make him feel uncomfortable, put him on the ground a bunch. They should be able to do that. If they do that, then the timing based stuff in the Rams offense starts to get a little bit wonky because he's trying to speed things up and that's and he won't that, create he won't create like Russ extend plays yes and that's that's the other important thing is you go back weeks now they've been playing mobile quarterbacks Wilson Pickett can move around a little bit Jackson I mean Clayton Toon could run he was terrible but he could do it you know I mean so you're going back weeks and weeks that they've like Gino can move all the way really back to the bye week. They've played quarterbacks. Stafford is the least mobile quarterback that they've played since Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, that's, he's a real that's, sitting duck. That's, yeah, that's so, so use that to your advantage because they have had to be so disciplined in their rushes where they break down and don't over-pursue. You can really pin your ears back against this offense and, and know that Stafford is going to be in a pretty small radius. So that has to happen. They have to pressure him. They cannot be where they were last week, where the ball is always out before they're getting there. They have to affect him. They have to hit him. They have to put him on the ground and they have to, you know, if they get a few sacks, then one of those sacks leads to a turnover. That's where you, that's where then all of a sudden you can start to create points on defense. I'm with it. Good answer. I think we'll dig more into the Rams in the coming days, but you know, I think if you, if Russell Wilson found his way onto the ground a few more times last Sunday, it changes the scope of a lot of those early drives. So Leave it at that. All right, next one comes from Aaron Hitchens if you want to take that one, Andrew. Yeah, it was jarring seeing the secondary without Denzel Ward. Is that an ode to how good Ward is or how bad Newsom is? And then 
what tier of cornerback would you place Ward in based on his play this year? I think it's both. I think Newsom has been worse than we expected. Ward has been better than he was last year, certainly. And then as far as the tier, I think based on his play this year, Ward is in the top tier. I mean, he has, I don't really have any complaints with how he's played. And I don't think he gets nationally enough credit or publicity for how well he's been playing this year. His connection of um, broken up passes and interceptions consistently over his first, what, we're five years deep on him now, right? Six, five, five years, something like that. I don't know. He doesn't get the respect he deserves. He should be a Pro Bowl player. I know Pro Bowls don't carry as much as it used to. As long as he doesn't miss too many games here, I think he should have a shot at an all-pro role because there should be a bunch of Browns getting stuff from this defense. You would think, Andrew, that – on a national level, when you have a historically good defense, a really good defense, be careful with historic, but it, at the minimum, a very, very good defense, you'd see like four or five guys get some of that respect. I continue to think that won't happen for reasons yep. that we have talked about extensively, but uh, Ward should get some flowers for the way he's played this year. It's been much better in a bounce back fashion. He was hurt early in the year that obviously played a big role in his struggles last year, and he's been back to his usual self and a huge cog in the machine here, man. So uh, and you're right, Newsom has not not been as good as we hoped he would be, and that's that's a bummer. Um, you needed him to be better, and he needed to be better for what he wants personally. So all the way around. Next question comes from OG Philly, our guy. How important is Anthony Walker in the green dot player? Does he get enough credit as a main cog in the defense? It feels like there's an immediate alarming drop-off when it didn't really feel like that last year with Taki Taki at Mike. I think Taki has been okay. I think Walker's a better player. I don't know the communication stuff. I don't. I don't because how would we? Uh, I don't feel like there's a ton of miscommunications that are happening in a way that happened last year. But um, you know, Walker, uh, sorry, Taki Taki's coming back from an ACL, and I think that takes a little time to to be the player you were, to feel as comfortable as you used to. I don't think he's been bad by any stretch, but Walker's better, and I think Walker's a main part of the veteran leadership, the energizer of that defense as well, Andrew. I'll leave it at that. I think there's a drop-off. Yes, not not huge per se here, but but it's a drop-off. Yeah, I, I mean, there, there were some plays that I thought Taki Taki did not make uh, on, on Sunday against Denver, sometimes where he was caught sort of being indecisive in between gaps and um, as a result was, was late. He, he does not have the same play recognition ability that Anthony Walker has to, to – either for himself or for other people, put himself or other other players in the best position to make plays. Uh, you know, I think he plays better in that sort of uh, strong side backer where he's he's able to use his physicality more and, and dictate on those terms rather than reading and diagnosing, making the defensive line right, as we've talked about before. So um, I, I, think, I think he probably was able to make the transition more easily last year because of what the scheme was asking him to do. And I think it's highlighting his um, deficiencies a little bit more this year. So um, they continue to need linebacker depth uh, is where I'm at with it. I I think this game kind of proved that, that they have, I would say two linebackers I'm comfortable having on the field in Anthony Walker and, and Jeremiah Usukoromoa, and then a bunch of guys that are really kind of special teamers. So, um, you know, whether that's a young player developing, uh, I think we both liked Mahmoud Diabati a lot from what he showed in preseason, or if there's another draft pick or free agent signing or something in, in the offseason, I, I, you know, they are awfully thin at that position. And it's, you know, they, it, 
we know they're trying to save money there. That's that's the one of the areas that they're going to try and skimp on. But I I would rather see younger players that are kind of more flying around uh, and have the ability to get sideline to sideline rather than some of these uh, veteran players who mostly end up just looking a step late on everything. So that that's where I'm at with it. Uh, all right, moving on to some more of the coaching questions. And we really already talked about this a lot, but I think it's an interesting angle on it. Um, should Kevin uh, be calling more passing plays instead of less? If the team is to do anything in the playoffs, it needs a balanced attack, and this won't happen without a vertical attack, and a vertical attack won't happen without reps, regardless of who the quarterback is. That's from Matt Darcy. I'm, <laughs> you're coming at a former quarterback about should they throw more. I'll always say yes. I, I, I'm, I'm a believer that I'm trying to be careful with how to frame this, right? Like, it's pretty clear to me the best teams in the NFL will throw successfully. They'll throw to, to score and run to to win games late, right? So I'm a believer in throwing a ton. Like I just am with within reason, throwing a ton, but like largely because this is the way this is the only way that they get to the place that I think we we hope they someday do, which is a real Super Bowl contender. I was of the belief of you just needed Watson to have a ton of throwing reps too within reason, right? You know, if he, if they continually can't do it, that's one thing, right? If you're just throwing three and outs every time, that's different. But I, again, I have no problem with how they handle the game in Denver. I have no problem with it. You need to get these guys ready to go to win meaningful football games and see if they can do that or not. So I don't know, Andrew, I, again, I might be the minority. I, I'm not Mark Sanchez. I'm not listening to the Mark Sanchez types. Like, I think they should be throwing it plenty. They they have a nice balance right now. And if they want to go to the places we want them to go, they need to figure out what they have at quarterback and they need to get the guys better at it. Watson, the forefront of that. So that's my belief that they should be throwing it a decent amount. And I think they're doing that right now. I'm not calling for them to throw air raid style here. Uh, the leech college days by any stretch, but I do think that they should have a decent throwing metric and they do. And they're still, like you need to be reminded they're running the ball as much as anyone in the NFL still, right? So I do think you could even make that argument that, that that I think that is being made here a little bit, which is, yeah, like they they could probably uptick throwing even a little bit more. So I, I'm fine with it. I would be fine with it. Yeah, the only thing I would add is that I don't really see a path to them developing like a coherent downfield passing game the rest of the season. Like not to be a bummer, but. I think that ship has basically sailed like um, this intermediate stuff that they were able to work in against Denver. That's very realistic. Short game, quick game stuff obviously is going to be there. Uh, that plus a running attack is what you're looking at. You might occasionally scheme a deep shot that you like, you know, a, sort of a one-off, but it's, <laughs> you know, they're about to play what week 12, week 13. Like it's that ship has sailed on in terms of like consistently getting down the field 20 yards it's just not going to happen. Agreed. Moving forward next year, we'll see what they do with that split, but uh, I'm certainly always interested in trying to figure out how you throw the football more successfully because that's just what modern NFL is more than anything else. Next question comes from Variance. If it was feasible cap-wise, would Brandon Ayuk be the best Amari Cooper replacement next year? As a physical blocker, great size route nuance, feels like he would excel in Kevin's offense. Flat out, period, yes. Yes. I would, I would, I would love 
Brandon Ayuk in this offense. T Higgins is not quite the guy that I would want to take over what Cooper does. He's more of a bully ball type, vertical type. Uh, and I think Ayuk is more of the Amari Cooper mold. He can really route him up, man. So I don't see a world where San Fran lets him get away, but if they do knock on the door, right? I see some people who wrote up articles about best and worst fits for Ayuk in the offseason, and the Browns are a worst fit for him because the quarterback plays so bad and whatever. It's goofy. I think Ayuk would be great here, but I don't know. You know, he's a West Coast guy. He's always been, right? He's an Arizona State guy and yep. San Fran guy. Does he want to come to the Midwest to play football? That's a that's a question, right? Yeah, it's a question. I, I mean, I, I think, he, like you said, it, the idea that he's going to leave San Francisco feels pretty far-fetched to me, so I would tend to just expect him to, even if they had to franchise tag him, I don't know the ins and outs of their cap situation, but they're in the middle of a contention window. I don't see letting him walk away, especially the way he's emerged this year as, as a true number one threat. So, but yeah, I mean, that's a player you'd love to have on your team. Um, I, that would be really cool. And I think would solve some of the yak issues that really continue to really haunt this offense that they just can't get free yards after the catch. They, you know, it's catch it and fall down. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. Uh, next question has Alex Wright done enough to make you feel comfortable with potentially moving on from Darius Smith in the off season. There are flashes from Alex Wright at times that, that give me a glimpse into him being a player that can play strong side edge for them. So I think if he continues to grow, add pass rush repertoire, I think he's playing the run game. Well, I'm encouraged. I'll leave it with this. I'm encouraged that he can do it if there's no way to keep Zadarius around. I'd understand if they want to keep Zadarius around and they can figure out a way to financially make that work. If they can't, I think I am comfortable. We'll see what happens over the next few weeks, but I feel comfortable that he could be a third guy that could be um, you know, effective at that strong side edge rule for them. So I think that there's an interest for me to say that he's a guy developing in a good way uh, to be able to do that. I'm not like locking that in by any stretch here. Like again, I had understand if they want to keep Zadarius around, but uh, I I'm getting more and more comfortable with Alex, right? He's gotten better. He's gotten better this year. Yeah. I think the, the defensive line development of both he and Elliot, you know, I, we, we kind of, I think at times we're, we're kind of poking a little bit of fun at Ben Bloom in the off season. Just like, who is this dude? He, you know, was an internal promotion was the run game defensive run game coordinator last year and the Browns were historically bad against the run and now he's going to be the defensive line coach I think he's done a really good job because Elliott and Wright have both taken noticeable steps forward I, I'm honestly I'm curious to see what Isaiah McGuire and Siaki Ika look like they haven't really McGuire's played a few snaps Ika hasn't been active so um yeah I, I mean I I would I would say that if if you went into next year with Wright and Garrett as your starting ends with Okoronko as your sub guy what I what I would want then is one more p- proven pass rusher. It doesn't need to be at a level of Zadarius Smith, but somebody that has done it in the league that maybe can sign a one year make make good deal. You think back to Tack McKinley, just another guy in the in the mix because I think it would feel a little thin if the next guy off the bench after Okoronkwo was Isaiah McGuire, considering how little we've seen from him. Okay, next question. Guys, everyone freaked out about the strong fumble. Why is everyone ignoring two brilliant play calls back-to-back on the fourth and goal and then the conversion? Those calls created wide-open opportunities. So good. That comes from Evan Dawson. Evan, we talked about it a little earlier. You know, we we are in a cycle of blame when they lose that gets really ugly and you ignore. Listen, man, 
that play could have got the, the reverse could have gotten blown up. Bad call, right? We talked about why. Who's taking the snap? Who's taking the pitch? The obvious stuff that they, that was uh, noted there, right, Andrew? We've talked about it, but nobody forces you to fumble it. Nobody forces you to fumble. Middle school teams run reverses. Stop blaming Kevin for a fumble. You can blame him if they got a loss there, which it could have been a five, six, seven yard loss. The crippling nature of that turnover is an execution thing. It's very simple. It's an execution thing. So stop blaming him for that. And uh, again, I, I have no idea the, the the game plan and the calling of plays in the Denver game was not as bad. It's not even it's not even in the top ten issues I've had with Kevin as a play caller game. It's not. It's not even not even close. It was Agreed. fine. Like this yep. stuff is ridiculous and it's pissing me off. I'm sorry. It's just getting. And I've you and I have been vocal way more than ever for me about being upset with Kevin for decisions yeah. they've made. Mm-hmm. This is not it. It's not no. it. And it's just, it's ridiculous. Uh, Ann Hitchens is the next one. I'll ask this one, Andrew. Um, this time next year, will we be talking about Cedric Tillman, Elijah Moore, or someone else as the Browns' second wide receiver? You know how much I hate saying wide receiver two. Hate it. <laughs> it's not a thing. They don't, this is not how depth charts work. Nothing against you, Aaron. It's not how depth charts work. So if you're saying that Amari Cooper is still around, he is your Z. Cedric Tillman is your X or vice versa. You're looking at like a rotational guy there. So you're saying, will they be getting rid of one of Cedric Tillman or Elijah Moore's playing time to play next to Amari Cooper in some fashion? That's the, that's the question here. Me personally, Cedric Tillman, big steps forward. I think there's more on the bone with consistency with Elijah Moore, not opposed to drafting a guy again, but I don't know that if you keep Amari around Andrew, that there's money to just go get another dude right that's just my opinion though yeah it'll be interesting to see how they tackle it right if yeah if amari's back then then i don't see the scope for adding another veteran certainly to to compete for wide receiver snaps at the top of the depth chart um so yeah then it would be a draft pick coming in or you know some reshuffling but i think the the more trade was made with the two-year window of him having two years left on his rookie deal and so you know Cooper, Tillman, and Moore, especially considering Donovan Peoples-Jones got moved, I think that feels like a pretty solid top three heading into next year. So you need to see more from Moore and Tillman the rest of the season because I think those are your guys next year. Unless, you know, the the question would be if they move off of Cooper or redo his deal, give him an extra year and, and reduce the cap number, then maybe it becomes possible to bring somebody else in. I could see the appeal of that because as we have kind of documented, Elijah Moore has certainly not risen to, you know, being a reliable secondary target within this offense. Next question comes from commander of awesome. After listening to today's pod, which was, I believe your Monday or sorry, your Tuesday pod, Jake was very clear, uh, clearly amped up by a few of DTR's throws. Would love to hear some of a favorite, Impressive, notable throws over the last couple of years. Baker, Jarvis, Panthers throw is what comes to mind for him. I agree. That that was a great throw. There was the throw from Jacoby to David in the back of the end zone to tie or take the lead against Tampa last year. That yeah, was, it's a tie. Ooh, that was, that was an unbelievable throw mm-hmm. um, and a, an unbelievable catch, too, mm-hmm. uh, if I recall. I was trying to think if there were any from Watson last year. There was a throw kind of back against the grain 
on a, on a deep out uh, against Baltimore that was pretty good this year. I thought his throw to Amari against the Cardinals was really really well done uh, up the seam there. Uh, I'm trying to think if there were any else from those guys off the top of my head. I don't I don't nothing nothing comes to mind. I mean Baker had quite a few. His rookie year was littered with like okay. I mean. Not to harken back to those times, but there was a genuine excitement that they had a guy after yeah. 2018, man, like a yeah. real guy. And he made a ton of those rookie year throws where he didn't live in a world of like the ramifications of his interceptions, where he played very free, was not afraid to tight window throw kind of often. And then you start to play more in the NFL and you start to understand how many, like how turnovers cripple your your offense and cripple your team's chances and then you start kind of should i throw that should i not throw that they, listen there were not quite ready to revisit the baker throw stuff yet but i'm very willing to say there were quite a few great throws from baker and i just have my mind hasn't gone there in so long so i can't think of many there was one against in that same panthers game on a corner route to njoku that was just in a bucket over a defender's head the the Raiders game he threw one to oh, what was the name of Antonio Callaway that was just so so well thrown on a crosser there was the ball that that rook that Tyrod threw to tie that will give them a chance to tie that Saints game that year on a deep throw in the last minute of that game so like yeah there have been some you know it's not all negativeville with the quarterback stuff but um, you know, Baker, Baker gave quite a few that, that, that Panthers throw though, where he's rolling left comes to mind. There was another one in the Falcons game where he was rolling right and hit Higgins in that 2018 game. That was a pretty good throw too. I mean, there were some real 2018 had a lot of them, had a lot of them. And that was one of the more fun years in recent memory, 18 and 20, right? Those are the yep. more fun years, uh, from, from recent memory in terms of like 18 was who Baker could be and 20 was making the playoffs. Right. And Baker yep. was playing pretty well then. Yeah, and I think there was – I mean, the crazy one to me is the beginning of the 21 season, that game against the Chiefs. I don't remember any of the specific throws, but I know he had a half dozen throws that were like, you know, stand up and take notice type throws. That uh, playoff game had some some nice yeah. throws in it yeah. as well. That, I that... mean, putting together some really uh, mind-blowing throws was never his problem, you know. And uh, I, I don't – I continue to believe that if he had – you know, a different uh, relationship to the, his craft and the Browns had maybe encouraged him to have a different relationship to his craft in his early years. Uh, that story could have gone very differently. And I think the, the lack of infrastructure around him, his rookie year and his second year basically, you know, irrevocably harmed him in a way that, you know, I, I think will regret for a long time as Browns fans. Yeah. Not quite not, ready to, not to bring it yet. down, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it remains one of the more damaging parts of the whole entire process from yeah. 2018 on that they they couldn't get him to be the guy that there was a chance he could be right. So, right. Um, lastly, here from Aaron Hitchens, a fun ode to our beloved Browns historic dysfunction. Where does DTR rank among the 36 Browns quarterbacks since the merger? Top half. I mean. Yeah, for sure. I don't know. I mean, there's some really ugly names at the bottom half of that thing. Mm -hmm. I don't have that jersey up in front of me. I really don't even want to do that, Aaron. No disrespect. No. I think it's a fun question in theory. I'd say top half, yeah. right? 
there's some goofy names on that list, lest we remember, right? There were some I, I think you know, ones. if he can continue to if he can come back and have a few more games like the Denver game was shaping up to be over the back half of the season, I think he can be solidly in the top ten, honestly. Yeah. It could be. Yeah. If he it, that's very well said. Very well said. Aaron Scott has an interesting question here. Is there anyone objectively tracking injuries and how each team is affected by them? There is something out there, right, Andrew? There's somebody who's doing like EPA loss to injuries or or salary cap. It was like something like salary cap uh, percentage loss to, to injured players, which, you know, salary cap's dangerous, but you do pay more to your best players. Yeah, I, ha- I haven't seen that. I know that football outsiders used to do adjusted games loss, but it, it's it's uh, it's retrospective. So they do it in the offseason looking back at the previous year. So we have data for 22, and the Browns were, I think, uh, relatively lucky, actually, with injuries last year. Yeah. Um. Uh. But I don't. I don't think they're doing it. I, I googled about this, and there is a website called. It's, it's. It's. I don't love the way they're terming it, but they call it Man Games Lost. Hmm. So it's mangameslost.com. Everything is hidden behind a paywall. Uh. Which you know I don't. I can't have beef with that for obvious reasons. But. Uh, yeah. That's that. That is out there. If somebody wants to pony up and. Uh, break that information free from its prison. I don't know that it's even a legitimate website. I've never seen it before. They have a list of their clients. Uh, the Browns are listed as one of their clients. So I don't know, man, uh, that's out there. But yeah, as far as like live game by game, I don't think that that data is publicly available right now. Yeah. You'll see some, t- some Twitter stuff float out their graphs every now and again. I don't have right. it. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but the Browns were pretty high up on that list. Sure. So yeah. No, nobody's had it worse than the Browns this year, I don't think, off the top of my head. I mean, the only one that comes close is the Jets just because of Aaron Aaron Rodgers. But I, other than that, they've been, I think, pretty relatively healthy. The Browns, especially now that the defensive injuries are, are, are you know, it's, it's starting to affect every part of the game. All right, uh, one final one here, uh, and I think this is a good one to end on. Knowing everything we know right now, what would you view as success for the rest of the season? My view is three more games should result in a playoff berth. I'm assuming three more wins should result in a playoff berth, and that would be a huge success given the circumstances from AJM. Yeah, playoffs would be a, a wild success. I, I really do. I mean, again, I think you guys out there would probably not view make like I think you would view missing the playoffs as a failure. I I wouldn't. I, I mean, I'm keeping perspective here. Of look around the NFL at teams that are dealing with quarterback injuries and your answer is is right there in front of your face they're doing something that no one else is doing right now so i think to me like winning two more games and getting to nine wins and being above 500 in this season would be a good outcome it'd be a good outcome for me now i want to make the playoffs i view the playoffs as the ultimate success here um but that again to me is saying the ultimate success winning a playoff game would be wild to win to go on the road as a wild card and win a playoff game would be downright wild. I'll, I'll say that, Andrew. So, um, yeah, I, I I wouldn't view like nine game win win nine wins and missing the playoffs wouldn't be a failure to me. The failure to me would probably be like losing out. They couldn't find one more or two more wins the rest of the way would be a, kind of a failure to me because I think there are a couple winnable games on the schedule remaining. Yeah, I it's tough with this because I think it's a question of what you think you know could happen versus what is reasonable given that those jets and bengal's games as of now 
are likely to be against backup quarterbacks and teams that are out of the playoff contention that you almost count those as wins. I know it's, it's always folly in the NFL to count a game as a win, but if you do that, that's nine. So you have to find one more. I I think this, this team and the coaching staff are good enough to find a win out of those other four games and get them to 10 wins. Whether or not that makes the playoffs is a different question that, you know, tiebreakers are going to get involved because there's going to be a few teams with 10 wins, I think. Um, but, but to me, that is absolutely a success. I don't think, I mean, I agree with you, Jake. I don't think you can call it a failure if they're nine and eight, considering the injuries that they've gone through, but would it be a disappointment that they were seven and three and finished two and five? Yeah, I think I would, I, I would say, yes, that's a disappointment because they have won plenty of games in this season without an answer at quarterback. So to all of a sudden then say, well, then they lost Watson again and they couldn't get it done. That, I don't know, it doesn't sit right with me a little bit. So I I think finding that win, finding a way into the playoffs and then rolling the dice. I continue to say, I know that we'd feel it a lot less because they got beat up a little bit by Denver, but this defense is good enough that if they have the right opponent and Schwartz has a game plan that works for that opponent, they can beat any team in the AFC in a one-game playoff. I believe that. There's not a team out there that is you know, so good and so versatile offensively that the Browns couldn't pose, pose them significant problems with their defense. So when you start from that perspective, whether it's DTR coming on through the end of the season or Joe Flacco doing some weird half season career renaissance, you know, which would be one of the stories of the NFL in in this season. um, I I think there's a path for them to continue to have more success here. It doesn't feel as likely as it did a a week ago when everybody was, you know, feeling riding very high after that Steelers win, but there's still plenty of opportunities in front of them. So yeah, to to like close up shop here and end up, you know, going two and five or one and six, something like that. I mean, like you said, God forbid losing out. I think that would feel pretty rough, to be honest with you. Yeah, I can understand people feeling that way. I, I, I really could. I, uh, you know, again, like the the just the downright nature of losing, like the, the the way they've won some of these games, we've been we've been very fortunate to see them come out on top in the way in which they've come out on top. So it's just it's it's a tricky one to for I, it would be tricky for me to then be upset because the results haven't flipped in their favor the way it has for some of those earlier. So I don't know. Good question. I think we'll just have to work through how we feel whenever that time comes. So, all right, this is a mailbag. We did a good job. You guys did a good job. Great questions. Keep those coming. If you didn't get your question answered, you know how to find us and hit us up next week. We'll try to answer your question. Uh, So thanks for making the OBR part of your day in terms of reaching out and uh, finding us to ask those questions. And then if you're listening to this, you know we appreciate that as well. So from Andrew and myself, thank you for that. We'll be back with Jordan Zerm, hopefully for your episode tomorrow. Until then, you know what it is. Go Browns.
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.